You're listening to Everyday Saints, a podcast from the Melbourne Anglican. I'm your host, Kiralee Nicole. My aim is to feature the stories from those of all different backgrounds in Melbourne and beyond. These stories, they might make us laugh, they might make us cry. My hope is that hearing a diverse range of stories will bring us closer together and better equip us to care for one another. So, without further ado, we hope you enjoy. I was recently chatting with my husband, who happened to grow up as a third culture kid in Russia. We were talking about the father of one of his classmates at school, and he was telling me a few facts about this person's life, and that I should meet them and talk to them as I would find their story interesting. And I did. So I thought I would go one better and talk to him in front of all of you. Leif Camp is a Lutheran minister from the United States who's lived in Russia for over 25 years. Before that, he taught English and literature at a university, and he was the frontman of several successful rock bands in Chicago. He's lived through a lot of change, politically and spiritually, in Russia, and I was very glad to get to talk to him and hear his perspective on faith. Unfortunately, in this episode, we had a few technical issues Uh, Leif is currently in the United States, um, but uh, we had a a few connection issues over the platform we were using. So some of it is a little bit muddy, uh, but just bear with uh, as it's worth hearing his story. Now, the other thing I need to mention is you'll notice some interesting phrasing when discussing Russian foreign relations. Uh, There are some security concerns here, so... Uh, Some of the phrasing might be a little hard to decipher, but I'm not going to clarify that uh, for Leif's safety. Hope you enjoy. Really great to have you on the podcast, Leif. Welcome. Well, it's good to be here. Yeah. So tell me a bit about you. So you're you're a Lutheran priest. Um, You've worked in Russia for a number of years, but tell me a bit about how that both those things came to be. What was your upbringing like and how did you sort of okay. get into being a priest? Well, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I started out differently. I'm a second career pastor, right? It's second career guy, we, we say. I didn't, um, but I mean, I grew up in a Lutheran family. My grandfather was a pastor. My great-grandfather was too. I didn't discover that until a little later, but, you know, I've been struggling with the idea of being a pastor since I was 15, but I was never good enough and I'm never talented enough, whatever, you know, I had a whole list of why I, it wouldn't work. But actually, you know, I was then teaching. I was, I have a master's degree in English. I taught English for 10 years. I was in a rock and roll band. I was the front man doing all the crazy stuff. In a, in a what was the band. name of the band? Well, one of them was Eddie and the Pizzolas. And then, then it was the House of Boogie. And it was in Chicago. We played a lot of festivals and stuff. It was fun. Um you know, how I, long how long was that period for that you so were that was that went on well let's see uh you know i started playing on the streets for a while and then that so probably about 10 years i i, I did music along when mm-hmm. i was teaching and so one night i was in my studio and saying okay god you know i've always been a believer even though we play till four in the morning on a saturday i'd go to early service at eight and then go to sleep you know i, I only think i the whole time i was doing music i may miss two services you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so go to church. I always want to do God's will. And one day, 
one night, actually midnight, about midnight in my studio on the north side of Chicago, where we'd, we'd you know, rehearsal and, and do tapes to get gigs and stuff. Um, I say, okay, God, you know, I've always wanted to do your will, but I think, you know, I think it's like, I want to do your will in Chicago. And as a musician, I'm realizing that I'm putting stuff, I'm making borders, you know? So at 33 years old, I said, you know, whatever's in the way, take it away. Whatever's in the way of me doing your will, take it away. 1993. Okay. 1995, I'm on a plane to Russia. <laughs> Which I would have and my, yeah, you don't want to pray that prayer. Okay. That's <laughs> my life was turned inside out and upside down in the matter of, in a matter of, of, of two years. I mean, it, well, I mean, so in what was that matter like? of about a year. Yeah. What was that like? What, what happened went, that turned it upside down? Well, first of all, they asked me, you know, my, my, I was head of faculty and they went on to upgrade their status, the place I was, the, the institute I was teaching at and the head of faculty at of communications and English faculty. And they wanted to upgrade their status. Says, hey, do you want to go get your doctorate? You know, we'll pay for it because they want more doctors on staff, right? And um, the first thing that when they asked me, the first thing kind of went off in my head. So the only thing I want to go study is theology. That's, you know, I don't need any more English. I don't need any more Shakespeare. I don't need more literature. I can do my job without that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a good teacher. I don't need anything more. So I, I, I said, you know, I said, no, I'm, <laughs> I don't think I need it. But um, so, so, you know, a lot of stuff just, you know, kind of came together. And then um, it's hard to explain, but it's just really... You know, I never thought about being a missionary. That was the other thing. But it, to make a long story short, you know, okay, so all this stuff happens. And I start, I get a different job. When I was head of faculty, you know, I was working, you know, like 85 hours a week because the, the policy of the school was as an English teacher, the state law was they had to, you know, turn in, you know, 20 type pages a semester. Well, we had an accelerated program, 10 week semesters, 10 week quarters. And so... And, and the school policy was I had to return all homework within three days. And I had 125 students a week, met with them every day. So <laughs> think how many themes I got to write, you know, man, this is like, so I learned time management really well. But then, you know, I got, you know, budget cut from that job because I didn't want to go get my PhD. So they kind of, you know, moved me over. And, and I got another job teaching on-site literacy at a factory to foreign workers. And that opened up a lot of free time. And um, I took a, you know, took a couple classes at a local seminary. But through all that process, I got involved in mission training. There were people who were fresh out of college, crash course on how to teach English, and they're going over as English teachers. I mean, that's really interesting. I never want to do it, but I'm a good English teacher, but I'd never want to do that. Well, then I applied to the confessional seminary in St. Louis, the Missouri Synod Seminary. And... All this is happening concurrently, okay? And they said, wait two years. And I'm like, oh, good God, what do you want me to do for two years? And they're meeting all these English teachers who are missionaries. They're like, oh, crap. I don't know. <laughs> if you pardon the French, you know, my son, Carl, is now applying to seminary. And he's had what I call the, 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 the oh, shoot moment. It's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> God's opening a door. I didn't really want to go through that door, but it's obvious. So I applied through my church, which is more conservative, thinking, well, if they do, and if it doesn't conflict with me going to seminary, whatever. And guess what? They did have a volunteer program. So I filled out the application, and one of the lines is, where do you want to serve? And I know that nowhere is not the right answer. I, mean, I didn't even have a passport, okay? I wasn't at all. Missionary work was, like, not at all what I'm thinking. Well, I know that nowhere is not the right answer on this blank. So, but I say, attached to my resume, wherever you need me, I'm ready to go, because that was also the truth. 
because I'm learning how to submit to God's will as opposed to thinking that it's something that I choose, right? Uh, <laughs> that, you know, putting, you know, it's like, okay, God, everything that's in the way, take away. It's like, okay, instead of me saying, God, I want, you know, bless me doing this or help me do this or show me your will doing this as opposed to just show me your will, right? And <laughs> so, so um, they said Russia finally. And so I, I, you know, drag myself to the plane, pray that the taxi gets in an accident because I'm just scared to death to go. I mean, I was... And I was, it was real dark period, the attacks of fear and everything. But I said, I said, I was going to go. Your yes is yes. Your no is no. I said, okay, God, I said, I'm going to go. So that was what got me to the plane. Once I got on the plane, the devil couldn't make me, I wasn't going to jump off the plane. So he couldn't make me run away. Landed in St. Petersburg in 1995. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a sight. the runway, there's weeds growing up to the runway. There's broken plane parts on the runway. The airport was surrounded by uh, militia because uh, there had just been that that kind of a pooch, you know, a few months before. So, but I felt, you know, it, I had this overriding sensation that I'd landed and flown home. That this was where I was supposed to be, which was really weird because for me, home has always been family because we moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I didn't know anybody. I don't know the language, and this is home. I'm feeling like this is my place, which is really weird, right? But that's how it started. Then two years, I, I got married over there. Um, and so they, I stayed one more year. I was supposed to just do one year, but I stayed one more year because my wife was Russian. I thought, well, I talked to seminary. Will it hurt anything if I stay one more year? They said no. And then um, what happened was, uh, so I got married. We, we got sent to Nizhny Novgorod. Um, 10 months after we were married to the day, Carl was born. My son was born, you know. And um, then uh, we went to seminary in St. Louis. Um, and, and after th three years in seminary, I did so well at seminary, they sent me to Siberia for my vicarage. <laughs> so, so you went back, so you, you went to Russia, got married, had a son, came back to the U.S. Yes, studied at studied. seminary, did so well at seminary, they sent us mm -hmm. to Siberia, yeah. And, and my wife, who was from St. Petersburg... <laughs> cried and cried and cried <laughs> you got to love americans who don't know geography because we were in siberia she's from st petersburg okay we were in nova Siberia. that's like the distance and i don't know i don't know distances in in australia but i do and it's like if you if you're swimming off the beach in new york and you get sent to swim off the beach in california that's about how far away they are from each other it's that far it's five time zones away and um so it's like she's like who did you offend they send people to siberia to die don't you get it because he grew up in russia you know this is siberia is the gulag and anyway so three years in siberia from 2000 we went there in 2000 three years in siberia and the mission board said well there's no more money go home well where's home okay so we temporarily moved to saint petersburg where we have an apartment because my wife is from there and we have a partner church in Russia that the, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is working with, the Church of Ingria in Russia, based in St. Petersburg. And they're a partner church. We have an agreement. And the bishop of the partner church reading the agreement says, hey, Leif, we really can't afford to pay you, but we'd like to call you. And I had no other call because, you know, it was, so I'm waiting to get on the call list to serve a parish in the U.S. And that didn't happen. So I accepted that call. And uh transferred my membership to the Ingrian Lutheran Church. I'm actually an Ingrian Lutheran pastor, and I've been working, I thought I'd last two years. What's the difference between an Ingrian Lutheran? Well, it's just that Ingrian just means, um, that's the territory, okay? Mm, Ingria okay, sure. is this area that, well, if you look at the map, it's kind of like Leningrad Oblast, okay? Okay. Although yep. the capital used to be Narva, Estonia. This was back in the 
1500s okay this is that 15 1600s this is how old that name is we're thinking of changing it okay <laughs> but it's like i mean i mean it's like okay yeah you have an anglican church in, in in australia that's anglican that's english right what are you doing you know i mean i get the connection culturally but wait you know why isn't it you know australian that's <laughs> you know sure, um, sure. yeah so yes. so i mean so so it's just called the church of ingry because of the territory where it was started but we have parishes all over russia so you know that's just kind of where you get the name so that was our partner church and so i've been i thought i'd last two three years and and by the grace of god i'm still there and it, a big part of it was that yeah we had an apartment i mean god put things in place and some of the th some of the things that actually you know when you pray about things and god kind of gives you insight on you know why why i should stay because it was a, it was a pretty tough decision you know I mean, what <laughs> no money no insurance you know what are we going to do <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's like but um you know, praying about it, but partially, you know, God kind of, God kind of makes you put up or shut up, right? And when, when I was a volunteer, I didn't have much money and I could, you know, talk about my faith and say, hey, you know, it's about doing God's will. You don't worry about money. You just do it. God, you know, money, he'll take care of it. And when I was in Siberia talking to the pastors and they're worried about them, I said, look, if you're doing God's will, he'll take care of you. He promises. Just con concern yourself not about money, concern yourself about God's will. So here I am now, you know, budget cut means I got no money. <laughs> and not getting a paycheck and uh god's saying okay Leif, you already you've said every you've told everybody <laughs> that it's not about money and there's a need here you have an education that they need they need you to to teach they need you to do parish development and pastoral mentoring and stuff like that because you have good relationships with people because you have the education um and you have an apartment so you, you can stay um, and you have a Russian wife who eventually now I have Russian citizenship too. So, okay. Um, you don't need to worry about visas and stuff like that. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you said it's not about money. You've been telling everybody that. And, and yeah, I could have, nobody would have faulted me if I had taken a call and gone back to the U S but I realized, you know, I can stay. They need my help. They've said they need my help. I'll stay. And actually, you know, because part of the agreement was with, with the mission I was working for, you know, they said, oh, you, you know, if you're going to stay, don't go stealing our money. And so I said, okay, I won't ever ask for money. And if you look at my prayer letters, I, there's nothing in there about even how to support me. People have to ask me. Because <laughs> what I said, I said, I won't, I won't refuse offers to preach and I won't refuse money if it's offered, but I won't ever ask. And so actually I was, before I went back to the States, two years later, I went back to the States a year and a half later, I was down to my last $50. That's how, that's how close it came. And, and yeah, I'm kind of getting your feet wet in the Jordan before it opens up like the second time Israel went into the promised land, but God was good. And he's been really good and, and um, faithful and, and a lot more than, than I have been actually, but you know, and, and I've seen Russia go through a lot of changes in all these years, but, um, and the history of the church, you know, the, people don't understand, you know, the persecution under communism, right? It didn't happen right away. Um, it started right away, but it didn't end. I mean, the, the final Lutheran services were in 1938. Okay, that was the last one when they closed the final church, but it took that long. You know, and, and initially, initially, you know, there were certain things, but what, because the first thing the communists did was redefine religion and freedom of religion is simply and only freedom of worship, freedom of ritual worship. Okay. Now that means they took away all social work, all schools, everything else, because that's not religion. That's not faith. 
okay? It's just ritual. So you can go to your church and do your ritual. That's your faith. You understand what that does. You can't live out your faith. You can't express your faith values. You can't, you know, stand up for faith values. You, you, you know, you have to agree with the party line and you can do your ritual. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that today, like in Russia, a school can invite a pastor or a priest to come in and teach Bible because that's not religion. You can't pray with them because that's ritual. But you can teach the Bible <laughs> because that's not religion. <laughs> so we actually have, you know, they're actually, that actually you know, works a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And yeah. And I, I can imagine you would have seen a lot of changes over the years. I want, I'm interested in in a couple of things. So not many people I know could land in recently post-Soviet Russia and feel at home. Um, yeah, it was weird for me to feel that way. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine. And what do you think, looking back at your life, there were cues to actually maybe I could survive in an environment like that? Well, okay, I moved a lot around. I moved a lot of, a lot when I was a kid because my parents split up and we rented space. And um, Chicago's full of immigrants, so I got used to being with people who spoke different languages. Go over to their house and, and, you know, they're all speaking some language you don't know. And then they say, and I just figure, well, my friend will tell me what I need to know when I need to know it. And, and that, okay, certain things, I guess, prepared me. But um, I don't know. I, it, it's really, to me, it's, it's more God's doing than anything. I mean, there are things that I missed, you know, he was nudging me and I missed it. I remember when I was in college, 1981, I'm, you know, my last you know, year in college and the school I'm at is offering, well, you know, university, I guess in, in America, the word college and university are interchangeable, but not the rest of the world. So I should say university because that's what it is. I get my bachelor's degree. Well, the last, and I have a free elective. I got to take a class and they're offering the first time in its history, this, this, this university is offering a class in Russian language. And I debate taking it for two weeks. And I said, no, what am I ever going to need Russian? So every day I wake up in Russian, I'll kick myself in the head and say, dummy. <laughs> God was, so there are things he was, he was trying to prepare me for that I wasn't, wasn't aware of, but you know, um, but yeah, uh, I think, I think just, it's more a matter of ultimately the growth of my faith to take that step. Um, because I remember when I got there and I really hit the ground running and, and, and really did well with the Russians. I mean, I really hit it off with them and, and built good relations with good trust, which is not that easy to do from looking back, you know, from, but being open and sincere helps. <laughs> it's, but um, and 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 just love covering a multitude of sins. I think when when Russians sense you really love them and care about them, that takes care of a lot of things cross culturally. I think anywhere, if people sense that you really love them, if you make you know cultural faux pas, they they well, this person loves us doesn't matter. You know, you can do everything right cross culturally, and if they don't sense you care about them, it's like it doesn't matter. <laughs> but anyway, so I think my faith, you know, because somebody said, Leif, why didn't you come? Earlier, like you could have come in 92 or 93. And I said, my faith wasn't ready yet. And I realized that's that I wasn't ready yet. I've been a believer my whole life. But, but you know, sitting in the studio saying, hey, take everything away. I wouldn't recommend doing that prayer until you're ready. Because, you know, if God, you know, God will honor it. And, and, and you know, you don't want to, 
you know, it, it was really, I, I was at a point in my life where, you know, things were going well. I was head of faculty. I was, my, my band was doing well, you know, things were going really well. I'm thinking, but something's not right, you know, and, and what wasn't right was I was not, you know, it's like, okay, God, there's something else you want me to do. So you, you feel like, um, it, would you say that you feel like when things were going well in life, um, you really didn't need to focus on God as much, or was it, what was it what was the shift well, that happened well, i was that always your, focusing your on god the thing is th i was always i've always you know it's really i've always been focusing on god it's always i mean if you ask me anytime i always want to do god's will going to church you know it wasn't like but it was it was like you know what god you know things are going well and you're blessing me but something's not right something and just mm -hmm. just sensing you know something and then examining myself and realized yeah you know i'm saying i want to do your will lord but i'm putting up i'm putting limits on it and when I was, you know, and, and but at that point when I'm being confronted with my limits that I'm putting on, it's like, oh, you know what? I repented of my limits, mm. but I was ready to repent of my limits <laughs> because mm. I mean, and, and so, you know, and, and it's an important thing. Yeah. What am I holding back from God? We say he's Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. Right. What does that mean? Right. I do remind people here sometimes that, you know, heaven is not a democracy. We have a Lord. Um, but even then, I think, you know, uh, understanding that and saying, yeah, you know, I say I want to do your, your will. And when, when we say this, and I think most Christians, if yes, they would. But I think, you know, it, it's, it's really easy to get willful. I mean, a big thing that's going on in the church now, right, is, is time and talent. So what are my talents? And, you want, and yes, you want to use your talents for God's will. But my response to that is always, but don't let your talents limit your service. Because the fact is, if you had said, Leif, do you have a talent for going overseas? I'd have said, no. You know, it's not my thing. I don't want to do it. I have no desire. Oh, follow your heart's desire. That's another one. Your heart's a fallen thing. It'll lead you all over the crazy place. And, my, you know, the Bible verse about that that people forget. Oh, you should follow your heart's desire. You think, oh, it's a good desire. It's fine. King David wants to build a temple. He says, oh, I want to do it. And Nathan, the prophet, says, oh, follow your heart's desire. And then Nathan goes home and God said, hey, did you ask me? Uh, no. <laughs> well, go back and tell David, no, that's not his job. Well, but but his heart desired, the desiring to build a temple, that must be a great thing. That's a, How can that not be God's will? Well, it wasn't. And so we can't always judge. I say, we, you know, you can't just judge by our understanding, you know, what is, because God has a, has a better understanding and a bigger idea. And um, so discerning God's will is not simply, oh, I'm going to follow my heart's desire or asking God to bless it. There, there's discernment. Now, God doesn't sit there and give me visions, you know, um, but there are ways to discern God's will. And I think it's not simply, you know, what we often think, you know, I think one is to check your motivations. I mean, I, could, I, I teach a class on this at the seminary, personal spiritual life. And one of the one of the things I teach is about how do we discern God's will? You know, and first of all, are you doing what God tells you to do in Scripture? So are you trying to follow God's will, like the Ten Commandments and stuff like this? Because this is God's will, first of all. <laughs> and if you're not learning to listen to that, you're not going to listen to anything else. So until you start to try to listen to what's in Scripture, you're going to have trouble discerning anything else. But then, you know, so that's kind of, you know, how, and then there's a few things like, and there are different examples of how people discern God's will and you can look at it and there's even, you know, they're, they're throwing the, they're casting lots. So maybe you flip a coin. Well, it may come to that. 
if you trust God to if you trust God to take it heads or tails, and if you're gonna, but if you're gonna pray and and flip a coin, then you better listen. If you're ready to do that, obviously, if that's what you're ready to do, but I mean that's a little bit. I think that's a little bit extreme because usually God makes it a little bit more clear. Um, but you check your motivations. You really discern. You know what are the needs. Uh, things like that. There's a lot of things. And my son's going through that now, applying to seminary because he's got a good IT job. You know, and he's, but for instance, you know, it's kind of like having, like I said, the oh shoot moment when when he's like, well, if I'm going to seminary, I need to learn Greek. And then he, he visits this church that's, you know, he's a member at one church, but he visited another Lutheran church. And guess what? The next week they're offering a biblical Greek class. Oh, shoot. I prayed about this. And guess what? <laughs> <laughs> there it is it's like okay yeah. you know i mean uh and, and that kind of thing does happen and and mm. it's like or when i'm sitting there do i do i stay in russia and i realize well i have an apartment i'm convicted by what i said to other people all the time you know there's a need and i got no other call so okay you know uh it looks like <laughs> you know okay god it looks like this is what it's going to be you know um mm. yeah and and it was a scary decision but it, it, it's, it's, you know, that you're afraid of something that's not necessarily, you know, it depends on what you're, you're afraid of. Right. But fear is never a reason to not do something. You know, um, only the fear of God is what, what you, so like, if I'm afraid, right. Uh, that's not, that's not necessarily God, you know. It's, um, it's so, fascinating. It's fascinating to hear that perspective. Cause I think it's, um, it's definitely been, I think that perspective has been generationalized in some ways and that I think we've we've perhaps gotten to a point where fear um we pay a lot more attention to our fears and we pay a lot more attention to our worries and concerns and that can be a really good thing a really healthy thing but do you think that that can kind of detract us from really paying attention to what God is actually telling us Well it's good to know what your fears are Okay, but are you going to let your fears guide you? You mm -hmm. see the difference. Am I going to let my anxiety guide me, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to, oh God, I'm afraid of this, mm -hmm. and I understand I'm afraid, and then why am I afraid? Because mm -hmm. that's a faith. You know, a lot of things they're faith questions, right? Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I when when I was two years as a volunteer, right, and, and in Nizhnyovgorod, they asked me to stay. The, the mission said, hey, do you would like to stay? But I'd already promised to go to seminary, so that's another thing. Okay. What have I already committed to? Because if my yes is yes and no is no, and if I've committed to it in prayer, uh, that's one thing I got to look at as far as God's will. You know, it's kind of you know, if someone says if they're married and they say, "Well, I think it's God's will I get you know marry somebody else." Well, wait a minute. No, no, you're married. That 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 is not God's will that you you break that commitment. <laughs> and there's enough Bible verses that that'll talk to you about that. But you know, any if you've given your word, that's one thing to consider. Well, I've I've made this commitment. And so my yes is yes is no is no. Now, if, if God's will changes that, there's going to be something that makes it very clear, right? That's going to that I can that I can bring to the person I promised and say, look, this is a mitigating circumstance that they'll understand, <laughs> you know, that they'll get. So I had already committed to go to seminary, and and the guy came and who asked me to stay. He said, well, you know, if you go to seminary, um, you might not ever get back to Russia. Okay, knowing that I love to loved what I was doing in Russia. Now, so so what's he playing off of? He's playing off my fear of not coming back to Russia. Is that a godly reason for me not to go to seminary? Okay, no. <laughs> the other thing, you know, the other thing he did, and he said, well, look, you've done a lot of great work here. Don't you want to see how your work bears fruit? 
Now, where's the, where, and, and this is a God-fearing guy, but, uh, but think about that. What's that the temptation to do? It's, it's not my work. God has been working through me okay, but the hammer can't take credit for hitting the nail, right? So it's playing off my pride, and that's not a godly reason to stay either. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, okay, you're giving, you're, giving me, you're giving me two, two reasons that, that aren't from God to stay, which means I've got to honor my commitment to go. Because I really would have liked to stay. And what I was mm-hmm. hoping he'd say is, Leif, we really need you to stay. Because then I could have said, this, look, the mission said they really need me to stay. Okay, that, that could be something that, that I could take. <laughs> and I'm hoping he'll say it. I'm wanting him to say it. No, he didn't say it. And, and, he get, and the two things he did say are like, eh. And, and even people who are Christian and, and God-fearing people can, you know, say the wrong things. For instance, Peter, who just confesses you are Christ, the Son of God. You know, two verses later, get the get me get thee behind me, Satan, because he's just said, "Don't Jesus, you don't want to go to Jerusalem," you know, and and he means well, so but it's like it's you know so you have to you know you look at a lot of things like that, and so I think that we're afraid and that we analyze our fears and know what we're anxious about, but why? Because those are the things we bring to God. Why am I afraid of this? I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of whatever it is I'm afraid of. Afraid of being lonely. I'm afraid of whatever it is you're afraid of. Those are faith questions then to bring. To, okay, why am I afraid? Why, you know, what is what is this? Because it's a question of what am I, you know, should I bring that then to God? My fear questions, right? I mean, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm going back in December, but I'm a little bit afraid. I'm anxious. To, I'm anxious about going back. You know, mm, what's I mean, what's causing the anxiety? <laughs> there's a war over there. <laughs> I mean, it's not the safest place to be. And I mean, people are saying, "Oh, why don't they rise up against Putin?" You don't understand. You know, Putin is the moderate. He's the safe. I'm more worried. I'm more worried that if there's a change in government, what'll happen? You know, that's something I'm concerned about, right? But what I can't do anything about that. So, so, I mean, but, but the things, yeah, it's like, I, I know, you know, I mean, I've looked at it, I prayed about it and I realized, well, my calls over there, they still need me over there. My wife is over there, you know, with her, cause she doesn't want to leave her mother. So my mother-in-law is there. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, I got to go back. Um, and, you know, I, I pray that God protect me, but whatever happens, happens. And, and, you know, it's, it's like, okay. You mentioned the level of, of persecution and difficulty in the church, um, since, since the Soviet Union, um, and, and during the, the Soviet Union. Um, yeah, well, see, now, yeah, now there's a lot more freedom. I mean, yeah. Not, yeah. I, I just wondered about, um, how you found doing pastoral care for people in that environment how did you offer pastoral care to people who are traumatized by something that you haven't lived through but you're there to sort of support them oh you mean people who live through the persecution mm, yeah well i'll tell you the thing about the people who live through persecution is their faith is is a lot stronger than mine it was you know you have these people these these you know these grandmothers who because all the men were killed you know who, who lived through this and and they're just so solid it's like they're more encouraging because they've lived through it our bishop our previous bishop we just elected a new bishop two years ago you got to pray for yvonne here's a guy he was elected february 2020 what happened in march 2020 COVID. so the first thing he's got this big crisis with COVID, and then a year later it's the special operation he's going to deal with that as the head of a church and and all the stuff because the you know all the dealings with the government and stuff. so it's yeah yvonne is 
and he's a faithful guy. I've known him. You know, he, well, he grew up in the church and I've worked with him. He was in the missions stuff and with youth. And so we worked together for years and years. And so he's a faithful guy, a solid guy. But but it's like I, I pray for him all the time because his first two years have been just full of crisis. And and because, I mean, with Swift shutting down, having the sponsors and, and, and the help that we had from overseas, which we don't have. And then how do we, you know, financial big problems financially, you know. Um, I just so, want to clarify. I just want to clarify um, for the people who'll be listening in. Um, Swift is a uh, a money transfer system. Yeah, the international banking system. The transfer. Yeah, yeah. international bank banking system. So, um, yeah, yep. The special operation that you've been you've been living through. Um, how can you tell me a bit about that? How what has it been like being in Russia during this time? Well, stressful because you don't know what's going to happen next, right? Um, and the threat of nuclear war, everyone's stressed out about, right? Um, and, you know, with, with all the posturing on both sides that's, that's going on. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of difficult because, you know, our church, we're kind of saying, you know, we're praying for peace and because we understand, you know, Russians are suffering too. Everyone's praying for the Ukraine, but there are Russians suffering too, you know, and then let's not forget about that. And, and, and it's, there's a lot more going on. I think, you know, I, I look, I look at the Western propaganda too. It's like, guys, you know, that there's a lot more to it and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to justify anything on either side. I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor. I pray for peace. I want the bloodletting to stop. I pray for our Lord to intervene, and I pray for a just and fair peace, and that the bloodletting stop so that the suffering in Russia and the Ukraine stop. You know, mm -hmm. that's what my prayer is, and that's what the prayer position of our church actually is. Um, and I recommend for people, um, Mark Twain wrote a piece called The War Prayer. And it's, it's really easy to find. You can just warprayer.org and you can read it online. It's a two-page thing. It was never published during his lifetime because no publisher would touch it. Um, it was during the Spanish-American War, I think he wrote it. It was finally published in 1935 after by his estate. I recommend everybody read it. <laughs> um, it it's 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 a, a good piece. But it... it, it it's, I'll, I'll link to it in the episode description. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's a, it's a good piece and, and it's been translated into Russian and I, you know, I used to use it when I taught prayer and then, <laughs> but it, it, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a thing. And, and so, yeah, it, it's stressful because, and people are now, and then with the, the CIA got, I left Russia the 18th of September before, before the, before the mobilization. So I didn't have to live through that, which, you know, but that's really stressful because a lot of people you know, are being called up and, and um, it, it, it's, you know, they were grabbing everybody and people are just scared for their loved ones and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's always stressful, right? And there's, there's a lot of things going on there that, that I really can't talk about, but, <laughs> um, but it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult situation. And, and I think, but partially being there, you know, it feels kind of surreal too. We we did go. We we went to the Kursk region, right on the border there, and did help visit some refugees and brought some, you know, brought a bunch of, a couple of vans full of um, humanitarian aid. 
for some of the Ukrainians that had flooded, fled into Russia. So we did minister to those. Um, we have some congregations in that area, too, that, that are pretty close to all that. And, and those people are really afraid. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, dealing with that. I mean, I think this, you know, the, the, the spiritual care and pastoral care now, dealing with pastors and dealing with people's fear, you know, because, and, and what's going to happen, I think this is the big thing, is um, in, in Eastern Europe, there was always a lot of antipathy against Russians anyway, because of the post-communism stuff. That was just starting to ease off. But now there's a lot of hate towards Russians, even in the churches over there. And, you know, the big thing that the church, I think, is going to have to try to get everybody to deal, and it's Eastern Europe and Russia too, I think, is to is to work towards reconciliation after all this is done. Because the, the amount of hate and antipathy, you know, it's, you know, we have our bishop will, will travel to Finland and people start, you know, throwing throwing the finger and doing all kind of insulting and and it's like just because he's got a russian license plate you know and it's worse in in other countries you know when there are people who are pastors or leaders in the church who who have this hate in them mm. i'm like you know you really need to work on that because because that that has no business there because because mature faith says you know love your enemies and how does that look like you know, mm, yeah. and, you know, it means, yeah, it means understanding that we're all sinners and, and that, that this has happened is, you know, and especially because, of, well, under the, the communism, right? It's like, oh, the Russians, well, it was the communists. Not all the Russians were the communists and not all the Russians did the evil communists did. You know, it's like in Germany, too. There were, you know, there were Germans who were hiding the Jews, helping them get out. There were, you know, it, it wasn't all the Germans. Mm. You have the Nazis who were pushing this thing. So there's there's a group within this <laughs> in this bigger culture, and, and yeah. so you know, and even then to hate, this isn't this isn't the thing, right? Um, and so to, to after this to work for reconciliation on both sides because there are there are Russians who are going to you know because their father or brother or husband were killed, you know, <laughs> they're going to be full of you know. Um, bad feelings and, and and you know it's 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 a it's a thing that i think that the church that's something that we're going to have to we look forward to <laughs> uh mm -hmm. to work for healing you know and, yeah. and that's going to be difficult mm -hmm. because a lot of you know when people hate some other somebody else they don't want to be healed <laughs> well like yeah well Really appreciate this chat, Life. It's been really lovely to get to meet you and to get to hear about your life and about your faith and um, how it's brought you through this this recent season as well as the ones before. Um, so thank you so much for talking today. Okay, well, you're welcome. You've been listening to Everyday Saints. Everyday Saints is hosted and edited by me, Kiralina Cole, with help from Elspeth Kernibone, Michelle Harris, Janan Taylor, and Maya Pilbrow. Graphics by Julian Karajic. If you have a suggestion for our podcast, please email me directly at knicole at melbourneanglican.org.au.